Cool. Let's get going. I'm excited about uh, sharing some more thoughts about how, hey Judith, how to preach the gospel of grace to unbelievers. This is, we're calling this part two from last Sunday. Yeah, it's really, I think some of these thoughts I think are very encouraging, very good to hear. So we're going to do some more on that part two of how to preach the grace of God to unbelievers. What did the Lord, how did the Lord teach Peter? And how did the Lord teach Paul to preach the gospel? That's, who cares what men think? Let's see what God thinks. How did God teach his apostles? That's what's important. Lord, thank you so much for showing us your ways. Your ways are not like men's ways. Not like men's ways. There's a way that seems right to men, but the end thereof is death. And the ways of the Lord to the natural man are foolishness. For they are spiritually discerned. Thank you, Lord, for showing us your way. A way of simplicity. A way of revelation. A way of peace. Wisdom from above is peaceable. Easily received. Thank you, Lord, for this way. The way of the Lord. We want to know your ways. Help us now, Lord. Teach us, Lord, how to, how to preach your gospel. How to proclaim your gospel to a world that they may receive what you have already done. And thank you for Rosemary, Lord. Thank you for the healing you're doing with Rosemary. Thank you, Lord. For holding her in your arms through all the pain. She's doing so good. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. There's like, I guess, three things I want to emphasize as we, as we talk about this, you know, how to how to preach the gospel of grace to the unbeliever. And the three things are this, are these. The three things are these. Number one, we need to see how God has said we are to see, how we are to see the people we're preaching to. Number one, how are we to see or look at the people, at the world that we're preaching to or proclaiming to or teaching or sharing with and that was one of the things that the first thing that God showed Peter was, and this was amazing. We saw this last Sunday. I don't want to repeat everything we said last Sunday, but just a quick overview. Last Sunday, um, we saw how God actually showed Peter to no longer look, no longer call the world unclean or unholy. Peter was not going to go into the house of a Gentile. Hey. Tina, hey, good to see you guys. Um, Peter was not going to go into the house of a Gentile because from a Jewish uh, standpoint, under the law, Gentiles were unclean and they couldn't even visit a Gentile or go in their home or whatever. And God showed Peter through that incredible vision of a sheet being lowered from the sky down with unclean animals. Remember the story? Three times God saying, Peter, eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I don't eat unclean. I never eat, I've never eaten unclean animals and so forth as, as a good Jew. 
And the Lord said three times, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And then the sheet went back up into the sky. A picture of the four corners of the sheet speaks of the four corners of the world, north, south, east, and west, that God has totally cleansed the world. That God was in Christ, reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them anymore. Now, this doesn't mean they're, they're actually forgiven already automatically. They have to believe. They have to receive this gift. But the point is, God wants us to look at the world. He says, don't call. Don't call what God has cleansed. Don't call unholy or, or anymore. Don't call it. God calls those things that be not as though they were. You and I must see people differently as we preach the gospel of grace. We must see people already reconciled to God. God has already reconciled himself to the world. The scripture says, now Christ in us beseeches the world. Now you be reconciled to God. Receive. He's not going to die again. It's done. He has done a work that is a completed work for all people, for all sin, for all time. And he sat down. After purging us of our sin, he sat down. On the right hand of the majesty on high. It is a done deal. So what we're trying to get people to to see is what has already been done. It changes everything. It changes how you look at people. First of all, it gets you you in the door. Peter wasn't going to even walk in the door. It gets you in the door. It gets you, you look at people differently. You're willing to eat and drink with sinners. See, Jesus saw this as he, he lived his life like this. That's why the Pharisees didn't understand him. He lived his life. He saw everybody forgiven because he knew what he was going to do. That's why he could say the woman who was caught in adultery, go woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't just, you know, wink at sin and sweep it under the rug. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to take her sin. So he lived in faith. He called those things as though they, as those things that are not, he called them as though they are. He changed Peter's name before Peter was born again. He called him by a new name before he actually experienced it. He saw Peter, you're a reed shaking in the wind, but you're not, you're not a reed. You're a, you're a rock, Peter. But he was still a reed. He denied him three times, but he saw, he calls those things that be not as though they are. And that's how we're to live. We're to see it. it, it, And people sense that they sense the acceptance when you're, when you accept people like that and you see that they're already forgiven. People are drawn to that. They don't, they don't feel like you're looking down your nose at them and you know, man, you need to get saved. And no, it's a whole different way. That's why he would, he would mingle with sinners, so to speak. The scripture says, and the Pharisees were grumbling about his association with the, with the world. He saw them all forgiven. He saw them all cleansed because of his work. You know, many would not receive him and they would die in their sin. And that's what he said. If you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. You will die in your sin. But if you believe who I am. You will not die in your sin. In fact, you will already pass. You'll pass through death even now and into life now and live in eternal life right now. Hey, bud. Good to see you guys. You see what I'm saying? Isn't that cool? So it's really important. So the first thing we got to see as we preach the gospel of grace is that God has already done it. 
He's done it. He, he wants us not call no man unholy, call no man unclean. Peter says in Acts, he says, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy. Has God shown you that? See, it's a personal thing. God has shown me, Peter says. God has shown me, and it's recorded for you and me to read. God has shown me that I am not to call any person unholy or unclean again. Call them. Are they unholy? Yes. Are they unclean in the flesh? Yes. Do they need forgiveness? Yes. Do they need to be born again? Yes. But you don't call them. We live by faith. We see what God has done. We see what God has done, and we see them through his eyes. And it does something. There's a, there's a dynamic, there's a heavenly dynamic that is at work. That's one reason we don't see people coming into the kingdom like we should, because men are not seeing people already forgiven. There's a heavenly, it's so important, it's repeated three times in the book of Acts. This vision of a sheet coming down to Peter, telling Peter not to call men unholy. Three times it's recorded in the book of Acts. First, the event itself. Secondly, he repeats it to um, the Jewish brothers in Jerusalem when they, they got on his case about going to, into a house. Very next chapter, we didn't get to that, the very next chapter in Acts, they got on his case about him going into the house of a Gentile, he repeated the very same thing in sequence, exactly what happened, and they went, well, what can we say to that? They, got, they received the Spirit like us. So. And then he repeated a third time in Acts 15 when they had the big meeting in Jerusalem about Gentiles coming into the church, and he repeated a third time how God had shown him this. It's very important. Yes, and three speaks of a revelation. Three speaks of a revealing of something. And the sheet came down three times. So three times the event itself was so important. It was shown to Peter three times. And then it's repeated three times in the book of Acts. I'm telling you, it's something God wants us to get. It's something God wants us to get. It not only changes how you preach or teach or share the gospel, share the good news. It changes how we relate to people. And they will sense they will sense the acceptance. They will, that's, that was one of the most powerful things the Christ did that men did not understand. The, the ho- always, always to the beginning of time, holy men among unholy men were always, you know, unholy men were always uncomfortable in the presence of holy men. When I say holy men, I mean holy in the sense of a prophet or, you know, they weren't really comfortable in their presence. And, you know, and I've known people in the past that believers, and they think it's a badge of honor for unbelievers to feel uncomfortable in their presence. <laughs> have you known people like that? I, I, have, I have known people, and it, usually they're people that are leaders in the church, like big ministry type people that, you know, travel around. And they kind of like the fact that people feel, ooh, that's so-and-so. Ooh, you know, I can't get too close. Or That's bogus. That's bogus. That's not Christ. That's not Christ. People were so welcome in his presence. A prostitute could wash his feet with his tears. The Pharisees were shocked by that. How did she feel so accepted to come into that meeting of Pharisees? She was so in love with him, so felt, so accepted by this holy one whom no one could find any sin in. And she felt so accepted by this. This was such, this was such a, a uh, breaking of the mindset of what it normally is to be around a holy person. She was so drawn to him that she didn't care about the other holy legalist Pharisees sitting around. She only saw him. 
the powerful thing that Christ did was that he, everybody knew he was, he was white, hot, holy, perfect, otherworldly, and yet they felt accepted. This is not like it's ever been. Thousands would come out to hear him speak. They were drawn to him. Only the Pharisees and the religious would stand back and criticize. In fact, they got so mad at one time they'd sent their own people to go spy out on him and listen to what he was saying. And, they'd, and the, his people would spy and listen to what he was saying and try to catch him in his words. Then he'd, he'd come back to the Pharisees and they'd say to the Pharisees, no one's ever spoken like this before. And they go, what? Are you becoming his disciple too? And they got mad because their own people were like, wow, no one's ever spoken like this before. <laughs> They felt the love of God too, you know. It's like, oh my God. And then they got mad, and the book of Luke says that they got so mad, they said, the whole world is going after him. Angry, you know. Why was the whole world drawn to him? Why will people be drawn to you? Why will they come to you and, and tell you their deepest secrets and open their lives to you? Why? Because though they know that you're one of his, they feel no condemnation from you. They feel, they feel acceptance from you. And you can do that. Not only, not only can you do that, God wants us to live that way. Call no man unholy what God has cleansed. See? It's awesome. I love the way Malcolm Smith says it. I, I was on YouTube looking for uh, Malcolm Smith's teachings the other day, and Malcolm Smith had a really neat little um, teaching on it. But he was talking about the, uh, about the grace of God and about how the grace of God is really the good news. The word gospel means good news. And good news, I love the way he says this. He said, he said, news, we forget sometimes that gospel means good news. And news is something that's already happened. Good news. And the way he said it was so cool. He said, he said we should go up to unbelievers and tell them, like, we should say, have you heard the news? Have, have you heard the news? God has done something amazing. Have you heard the news? That's what it's all about. See, so anyway, three, three, things, three things we want to look at is how do we see the people we are sharing with? How do we see the world? How do we see, you know? And secondly, we need to see um, that, it, that it's, it's, it's wrong to think, and we mentioned this last Sunday, it's wrong to think that you have to put people under law first before you can preach grace. It's widely taught in the body of Christ that you have to put them under the covenant of law, so to speak, before you can put them under the covenant of grace. That you have to prepare them under law before they can receive grace. But Jesus did not send us forth to preach the bad news first and then the good news second. He did not. He sent us out to preach the good news. Inherent in the good news, the Spirit will take the message in the good news itself. And the Spirit convicts the world of sin because they believe not on Jesus. It's inherent in the good news itself is the message that you can offer God nothing. That He took our sin upon Himself. Inherent in the good news. It's wisdom. It's incredible wisdom. It's genius. It's, a, it's, it's like packaging the bad news and the good news at the same time. But this, the good news is so overwhelming. The, ba- the bad news is like, oh my God. You know? It's like, what, can I, what should I do to be saved? Oh my gosh. I want this. You see what I'm saying? It's awesome. 
So that's the second thing. We need to change our way of thinking. And we saw, we read what Peter said to the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius. We read exactly what he preached. And we, we didn't find one sentence about the law. Just like Ken said the other day, he simply introduced them to Jesus. Introduced them to Jesus. It's good news. It's already happened. Have you heard the news? Have you heard the news? Have you heard about him? See? God has done an amazing thing. You can say it this way. Have you heard the news? God has done something so awesome. Do you realize that God has stopped counting sin? That would get their attention. That, you know, is that good news? Would it be good news if someone told you, do you realize God has stopped counting sin? See, religious people are scared to death of this message. God's not scared of it. God is not, behold the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them again. It's a heavenly truth. It's a heavenly dynamic. It is not from men. It is not from the earth. It is not religious. It is from God himself, from his heart. And in that seed is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The gospel, the good news is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Because if someone will believe that he has stopped counting my sin, if they will believe on the Christ, they shall be forgiven of all sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the life of God will begin to live in that one. Isn't that awesome? Have you heard the news? Have you heard the news? And the third thing we need to remember, not only do we need to see as God sees the people we speak to, not only secondly should we get out of our head this thinking that we've got to put people under law before I can put them under grace, but the third thing we need to see is that we need to, to ask them the right question when we share the gospel of grace. You'd never hear the apostles asking the question or giving the commandment or whatever it is to a group. Ask Jesus into your heart. And I know people mean well and God's able to work with, you know, but I want to be precise. Paul says use sound words. When Peter, when Peter, look at this. Let's look at this real quick. When Peter was repeating what happened, When Peter was repeating what happened with the sheet that came down in the book of Acts to his Jewish brothers who were a little upset that he went into a house of a Gentile, he said something so cool. He was repeating what the angel said. So he's actually saying what an angel said in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts... Chapter 11, book of Acts 11. Chapter 10 is where he had the the vision and went to the house of Cornelius. Chapter 11 is when he went back to his brothers. Chapter 11, look at verse 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, they say up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on a mountain. It's on a hill very high up. So anytime you go to Jerusalem, no matter where you're coming from, it's always going up to Jerusalem. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, 
those who were circumcised, the Jewish believers, took issue with him. They took issue with him, the Jewish believers, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, and he went to this whole, he went through the whole thing, the whole vision again. I was in Joppa. I was praying. I went into a trance. I saw a vision. Object came down from the sky. Boom, boom. He went through the whole sequence again. Now, look what he says right here. Verse 12, the Spirit told me to go with them. These are the brothers that are coming from Caesarea. or the, the, Actually, they're not brothers yet, but they're coming from Caesarea to, to hear Peter, to get Peter. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brother, brethren also went with me, and we entered the, men's, the man's house. In other words, the six Jewish brothers with them, he went, traveled with him up to Caesarea. Verse 13, and he reported to us, this is... Cornelius, he reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here, and he will speak words. Look at that. He will speak words to you by which you will be saved. Words are important. He shall speak words. You see that? The angel, the angel appeared to Cornelius and said, send for Peter. He shall speak words. To you, by which you will be saved and your household. A famous Supreme Court justice once said that words are the skins of ideas. I love that. Words are just the skins of ideas. Words carry ideas. They're the skins of ideas. That's why words need to be precise, because what you're carrying to someone is an idea. Paul says, be, be sound in your words. So what I'm saying is the third thing we need to remember is no one ever said, no one has ever said, ask Jesus into your heart. No one has ever said to a meeting of unbelievers, make Jesus Lord of your life. You see how that's not good news? That's not good news. I've tried to make him Lord all my life. I can't do it. That's not good news. And it's not even asking them to believe anything. There's no faith in that. It's not any faith in that. What was the power? What was the moment when the Spirit fell in Cornelius' house when Peter was preaching them? After he introduced them to Jesus and talked all about Jesus doing miracles and how he was uh, through the land walking and all these. Then he says, and all the prophets give witness that whosoever believes on him shall receive the forgiveness of sin. The next line says, when Peter said those words, uh, send for Peter, he shall give you words. Uh, when he said those words, uh, the next verse says, the Holy Spirit fell. Because later we see in Acts 15, Peter says, God who knows their heart saw faith in their heart because they were all ready to hear. They were ready to believe. Whatever Peter said, an angel had appeared. They sent for Peter. Peter was there. They had his, their, his friends there, his relatives there. They, whatever you say, we're here. And when he spoke those words, whoever believes on him shall receive the forgiveness of sins. And they were thinking, oh, to have my sins forgiven, yes. Spirit. Not a word was spoken. Not a word was spoken. God who sees the heart. Oh, to have all my sins forgiven. Is it really possible? I do believe. I do believe. Spirit came. See, we are so, we are so 
afraid of sin. That we can't even say to a mass of people, have you heard the news? Did you know God has stopped counting sin? Will you believe? Will you believe he stopped counting sin? Will you believe on his son? Will you believe? Will you believe that it's true? That he is the son of the living God? That he takes away the sin of the world? Will you believe that he stopped counting sin? Will you receive him? For he who has received him were given the right to be called the sons of God. Awesome. Isn't that cool? Have you heard the news? God did something. We're just telling them what God did. See, God did something. It's like in the paper, the newspaper, the news. Read the paper. God did something. Oh, my gosh. God took away sin. Oh, my gosh. That's what it's like. That's the gospel. That's how to preach the gospel. It's not about cleaning your life up. It's not about putting them under law first so they can really appreciate the grace of God, see the depths of their depravity. It's not about making Jesus Lord of your life. It's not about asking him into your heart. It's not any of that. It's, it's God did something. God has stopped counting sin. This is the word of the cross. The word of the cross is God has stopped counting sin. And it's foolishness to the natural mind to preach this. It's foolishness, see? That's what Paul meant. He said, I'm not ashamed of this good news. I'm not ashamed to tell a sinful world that God has stopped counting your sin. I have good news. Come to Him. Oh, you are heavy laden and burdened and fearful of judgment. Come to Him. God has stopped counting sin. In fact, He's already forgiven you if you will but receive for God has taught me I should call no man unholy. For what God has cleansed, let no man call unholy. You see the difference? That's powerful. You say that in a stadium of 70,000 people, and I guarantee you they won't have room on the ground for people to come. That's, that's why it turns cities upside down, saints. It turns cities upside down because it totally wrecked religion. Religion is in the business of sin management, like we talked about before. Religion is in the business of sin management, and it is a billion-dollar business. But Jesus has come and just wrecked that thing. The axe is laid to the root of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that tries to get us to work hard to please an angry God. And God is going, no, who told you you were naked? That is not my way. Isn't this awesome? This is the true gospel. This is the gospel of grace. This is what spread from city to city. That's why they said, those who have turned the cities upside down have come here. You don't turn cities upside down by telling people to work hard, to be more moral people, and you got to do this, you got to do that. Every religion says that. There's only one truth that is on this planet that says, God... The holy God who cannot even look at sin has stopped counting sin and invites you to come boldly to a wedding feast. Friend, where's your wedding garment? Come, come. A son is being married. You're invited. Come. The glad news of the kingdom of heaven. 
before we had thinking in our minds, we had thoughts in our minds about God, about ourselves, about how to get to God. And so now we repent. We change our mind. And we say, oh my God, it's not about me getting better or working harder. It's not about a God who's against me and not for me. Oh my God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my mind and believe that God so loved me that he stopped counting sin. In this new covenant, I will be merciful to all their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. I will not keep a record of their sins anymore. Why? Because my son. Preach him. For God who called me by his grace from my mother's womb, Paul said, and sent me to preach his son. Preach his son. See? Leave the results to God. Be bold. And speak boldly what God has said speak. And watch. Stand still and see the salvation of God as we preach his good news. Great is the mystery of your godliness. For God was manifested in the flesh. And he was vindicated by resurrection in, in the spirit. He was seen by the witnesses and the messengers He was proclaimed on in the world. The news was spread. Have you heard the news? God has done an amazing thing. He was believed on. He was taken up into glory. That's it. Great is the mystery of your godliness. For God did something. We're not going to have time to, to get to where Paul's, what Paul said, but we'll do that some other time. But if you get a chance, read what Paul said in chapter 13 of Acts. If you want to read chapter 13 of Acts and read how Paul preached the gospel. It's so funny because he starts to talk about the history. He's in a synagogue and he's preaching to the Jewish people. And he starts talking about, they, they said, you know, do you have anything you'd like to share? And Paul raised his hand. Yes, I do. <laughs> Boy, do I have something to share? And he, so he starts talking, and it's interesting because you'll see how he starts talking about the history of the Jewish people. Then he talks about how God brought us out of Egypt. And then he, he's actually used the phrase, he put up with the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. You know, he, he actually just, he totally for, didn't even mention Sinai. Didn't even mention the law. Skipped over it. He went right into them coming into the promised land, right into a promise of a savior about the son of David coming, about the Christ, about Jesus. So we have Peter. We can see how Peter preached the gospel. We can see how Paul preached the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. And there's none of this thinking that we have to put them under a covenant of law before they can receive the covenant of grace. And I'll just say this in closing. A problem with that thinking is a big problem with that thinking. The problem with that thinking is that they don't leave that thinking. There are churches that think that. They don't leave that just at the, at the born-again experience. They don't leave it. The whole Christian life is about using the law to look at, the, look at sin, indwelling sin is what they say, so that you can deal with indwelling sin so you can be more Christ-like. You can apply the grace of God. 
In fact, there's a book that's widely read in seminaries around by Richard Lovelace, a book, a textbook written um, by Lovelace, and it is, it's called Spiritual Dynamics. It's well, it's written, it's read in seminaries all over the place. And he says in one of his, I forget what page it is, I've got it in my library, but he says there that the law is the surgical work. God uses the law on a believer as the surgeon to cut deep, to find indwelling sin, to find sin. And grace is the anesthesia. So that you can, so that you're not, so you're not in too much pain as God deals with sin in the flesh. The law and the and grace work hand in hand. Ah! Oh, and who's the big doctor here? The law. The doctor is the law. Oh, grace is just an anesthesia to keep, you know, so you're not dying through this painful self-examination so you can get better and more Christ-like. No! You can't improve the flesh. The law was given to make sin exceedingly sinful. The law was given to make sin increase, the Scripture says. The law is the strength of sin, the Scripture says, and it doesn't cease to become the strength of sin for the believer. Law stimulates sin in the flesh. Law stimulates sin in the flesh because the law is not of faith. And if you have a new heart, which we do, Peter even says of Cornelius and them, God cleansing their heart by faith. If you have a new heart, what are you looking for anyway? Paul says, if you look for sin in the flesh in me, you'll certainly find it for no good thing dwells in my flesh. It's the wrong track. It's the wrong tree. It's the wrong dynamic. And that's why believers are in depression and self-examination. And they don't see the new creation. They're not, there's not a joy in their step. There's not a twinkle in their eye to tell people, have you heard the news? And those who want to play that game, they, they look down on others and, and they use words like, I commend you. I commend you. Oh, I hate that way. That they, I commend you, brother. I commend you, brother. You're doing better with your pride. I commend you, brother. Well, that means you've been watching for pride in my life. That means you've been judging me. You haven't seen me after the Spirit, obviously, and now you're commending me for a fleshly act of trying to be better in my flesh. Ah! It makes me want to turn over tables. You know? Like Jesus did. Blind leaders of the blind, they both shall fall in the ditch. You know? Jesus said... You, you see specks in people's eyes, not realizing the log in your own eye. What you're seeing, the speck is a reference to sin. Sin. People have sin. People, are, people are, are born in sin. But the real problem is not sin. It's the log in your eye because you don't see the ways of God. Make the tree good, he said, and it will bear good fruit. That's what he said. The Pharisees didn't understand that. How can we make the tree good? How can we be born again? How can a man enter his womb? Ah, see it? God, only God can make the tree good. A new creation and fruit will follow. Don't keep tweaking people's specks. That huge log in your eyes is going to cause their eyes to be gouged out as you try to take the speck because that is not God's way. Your log in your eye is that you don't see the ways of God. That God has stopped counting sin. And if God has stopped counting sin and if God has brought a new creation, what are you doing? I want to say to these guys, what are you doing? 
You've got a log in your eye. You don't see the ways of God. You don't see that God has made a new tree. And how you're not nurturing a new tree. That the fruit might come forth from that tree. And what do the apostles say? Set your mind on things above. Look at Christ himself. Not the flesh. Remember who you are. Oh, I know. It's all part of the same mindset. It's the same mindset. It's, it's, it's uh, anyway, hope I didn't come across too. It's just, it's just, you know, we'll look, we'll look at it. We'll look at it. And, and we've all, and we've all suffered from that kind of thinking. Every one of us in some way through the years. Some book, some ministry, some teacher, some preacher, through the years, we've all suffered in some way through that wrong thinking. And this, I, let's close right here, but I, I believe this is, this is the latter rain. The rain does not come by just prayer. Every place in the book of Acts, the Spirit fell because of words. 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 Grace brings the rain. Grace brings his rain. And I tell you, when words, more words are being spoken, the spirit will, people are going to be born of the spirit left and right. The spirit is going to fill. He confirms the word of his grace with signs and wonders. The scripture says he confirms the word of his grace with signs and wonders. It is not like men think. This is the beginning of the latter rain. The revelation of grace, the finished work of Christ. I believe it with all my heart. It is. Prayer is important. I'm not saying prayer is not important. Prayer is very important. Prayer has prepared the way. Prayer has opened this revelation up. Prayer has actually, the prayers of the saints have allowed people to break through religious thinking and let the enemy, you know, when Daniel prayed, God sent the answer the same day Daniel prayed, but he was withheld by the prince of Persia in a spiritual battle for 21 days. God, 21 days, Daniel's like saying, God, did you hear me? Did you hear me? The whole time, God wants to say, Daniel, hold on, hold on, hold on. Michael's fighting. Michael's getting through. Michael's getting through. And that was the revelation of the coming Christ, of the coming of the Christ. That was the revelation of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And the, and the prince of Persia knew this was a huge revelation. He tried to stop it from coming. A demonic power tried to stop Michael from bringing it to Daniel. 21 days battling until Michael was able to overcome and break through. And then that opened the way for Gabriel to bring the revelation to Daniel. Because Michael's the warrior. Isn't that cool? And that's what's happening here now. That's through the prayers of the saints. God is breaking through and bringing revelation of his finished work. His son is Christ his grace, and as we speak it with boldness and not be intimidated, don't feel ashamed because you're saying things like God has stopped counting sin because it makes it look like, oh, come on, Paul. You were doing so well. <laughs> That's what they said to him. You were doing so well. You were, you were rising in the ranks of your contemporaries. You were a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You were about to be promoted. What are you doing? <laughs> and a lot of that's going on in churches. Willing, more willing to be praised by men than by God because they have too much vested in the religious system. I better not say anymore. I'm kind of meddling now with all these ministries out there. But it's not, they're not all bad. I'm not saying that. But just, there's some people that have been, they've got a, a thousand books out there. 
it'd be very hard for them to say I was wrong for about 80% of those books. They get royalties, they got money coming in, uh, you know. That's just... Anyway. Oh, God, God just says, oh my. Just preach the good news. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your blessing on the truth of your son, your son's work. Good news. Have they heard the news? Have they heard the news? God has done something amazing. I bless my brothers and sisters, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen.